Digital Drift, episode 53, recorded Thursday, 27th of February, 2014. The Twilight Saga, volume 2, Breaking Dawn, parts 1 and 2. Okay, uh, I'm going to have to describe what's going on because no one's talking in this trailer. Uh, a woman just walked down a hallway. She's, she has a silver tray with a special letter. Oh, here's Michael Sheen, the crazy vampire. Oh, he's invited to a wedding. Charlie, that's Bella's dad, he's invited too. Bella's mum, she's invited. Oh, man. It's going to be the party event of the season. Um, on November 18th. Oh, oh. Oh, Jacob. Oh, he's got an invitation. Oh, he is not happy. He's taken off his shirt. That took a... Oof, 42 seconds. Uh, yep. Okay, uh, Jacob's dad's worried about him. He's turned into a wolf. He's turned into a wolf. Okay, right. So he's... Uh, yeah, he's checking the invitation. Of course, it's Isabella Swan and Edward's wedding. You are cordially invited. And then, like, there's Bella's hand to the event. And Bella's head. Such lovely hair. Uh, they're at their wedding now, she's walking down the aisle, and then Edward, oh he's smirking, he's, he's smug and thick and indiscreet. Uh, it's, it's our pats, what can I say? And uh, yep, she's looking at him, he's so gorgeous, oof. From the worldwide bestseller, hmm. No measure of time with you will be long enough, but we'll start with forever. Now they're having sex, he's breaking the bed, he's breaking the bed! And now they're in the jungle, they're having sex in the waterfall, is only the beginning, and then, oh, some guy just threw some girl, don't know what that's about. Then Edward kisses Bella's head, then there's Jacob, then Edward again, and then they get in a fight, and oh my, oh my, okay, right, fight's over. Oh, something's wrong, Bella's checking her lovely flat stomach, but she feels a weird stirring inside. Could it be a weird vampire-human-hybrid-demon baby? Edward looks worried, yes, it probably is. The Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 1 November 18th, like several years ago. So Breaking Dawn Part 1, 2011, directed by Bill Condon, who has previously directed dramas like uh, Gods and Monsters starring Ian McKellen, and that's what he's famed for, and that's, that's really why he was chosen to direct the most dramatic of the lot. Um, Bella and Edward are married. Jacob is shocked to find out they're going to have sex on their honeymoon while Bella is still a human. They go to a gorgeous tropical island and enjoy idyllic bliss while fucking roughly and breaking the bed. Not Bella... that you see any of that, of course. It's implied. Bella gets pregnant and the fetus matures extremely fast. It is a half vampire and begins to feed on its mother, killing her. The werewolves decide to slaughter this unholy half-breed. Jacob guards Bella grudgingly, but when the baby is born, he realizes Bella's child is his soulmate. He sees off the other werewolves, and Bella begins to die, and Edward turns her into a vampire. Right. This first one's patchy, but it actually ended really quite well, to the point where I was like, wow, they, that could actually have been the ending. Mm-hmm. We yeah. don't necessarily need another film to follow up on this. Kind of like with how uh, uh, Eclipse was a superfluous addition to um, New Moon. So technically, if you wanted to just see a, a shorthand version of Twilight, just watch Twilight, New Moon, and Breaking Dawn Part 1. Interesting. That works as a trilogy. might have to try that and see how well it works. Yeah, you'd be cutting out the best of the five, but uh, technically, in terms of plot and development... Those are the three. You meet Edward, you meet Jacob, and then that gets resolved in this, this fourth one. 
Oh, God, I'm right. Mm. Okay. Now, here's where it falls down because it starts off really quite good because Bella's really anxiety-ridden about the marriage. She's like, oh, God, what's going to happen? I'm going to leave my family behind. This is the time when she's at her most um, conscious about other people. And you feel for her more because she's feeling kind of selfless at this point. At the same time, um, she's mourning her life, which she's having to say goodbye to. But at the same time, she's also going on a gorgeous honeymoon with Edward. Now, both of these films, uh, the Breaking Dawn films, follow the most consistently strong film of the series, at least strong in terms of how it's presented, Eclipse. Uh, But they are thus a lot more patchy in what we're actually watching if you're like me and you don't really like all the drippiness. If you really do like the drippiness, then they're wonderful, full of that. Um, Like I said, the wedding is suitably anxiety-ridden, and for some reason, Jacob is now Wolverine, and he's off in the forest chopping down trees and being really angry without a shirt while Bella's getting married, and then shows up uh, after the wedding and is quite gentlemanly about it and and quite, you know, well, you you did what you had to do, and I'm I'm very happy for you. But then he finds out that Bella might have sex with a vampire and that will hurt her and so he's like oh god i forbid it no and of the two of them throughout this series jacob's the most possessive most definitely he's he's under the impression that what bella wants is going to get her killed and that she's not really of her in her right mind and he's trying to make her sane the whole way through that is true however and again this is possibly where the bias is going to come into it um i think he he is at least he does have the decency to be conflicted about it. So he'll mm. he'll tell her, you mustn't do this. And then he'll go, but I don't have the right to tell you not to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so well, he doesn't really... acknowledge that it's, it's not on. He's only like 16, 17. We don't make our best speeches or decisions at that age. In fact, he's a lot more articulate than most 16-year-olds. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But after that, we get to the honeymoon, and my God, this drags. There is an overabundance of idealized wish fulfillment during the honeymoon section. And if you really want to see Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson simulating sex, then this is going to be brilliant for you. If you aren't really all that fussed and are more interested in the emotional developments, you've got a while to wait. The emotional developments are Edward has sex with her, but then he leaves bruises on her and he goes, oh, see, I'm not going to touch you now. And then he won't touch her. And so she is climbing the walls with the horn and like, you know, teasing him with lingerie and, and like sort of like dreaming that he's having sex with her, but she, he's not. And so she's like, me want penis. And well, that's literally what she says. And um, it's not literally what she And it's like, oh, I've got this perfect honeymoon, but he won't have sex with me. It's like, oh, for fuck's sake, grow up hair. You're about to say goodbye to your entire family. In fact, you kind of have already. There's other things at work here. I have limited sympathy. This is what you chose. Have sex with him when you're a vampire. But anyway, because they have sex, she gets pregnant and then everything goes very, very wrong fairly quickly. And it's the rude awakening to the idyllic dream. And I was like, wow, okay, that kind of balances out all of that crapola um, because suddenly it's, I suppose you could look at it as, as, um, you know, those, uh, videos that they show girls in sex ed where they're like, and you could get pregnant and then, like, they, they then show you a 20-minute video that really unglamorizes pregnancy and makes it seem like, you know, I can't come out and play with you guys. Because I have a baby now. 
because of prom. And uh, uh, but yeah, I, I imagine the uh, the girls get shown something even worse, where it's like, and this is what happens when the placenta comes out. That's, that's pretty much it. I never saw any videos at school that that sort of unglamorized pregnancy or or like motherhood or anything like that. But I sure as hell saw one that unglamorized labor. That's if labor was ever glamorized in the first place, which of course it wasn't. But well, no. Sometimes they gloss over and go, and then a baby pops out, and it's all lovely. They really don't do that in this one. Basically, um, because the kid is a vampire, it's feeding off Bella. It's feeding off her mother. And she becomes like a concentration camp uh, victim. And her skin becomes drawn, her arms become stick thin. It's really quite upsetting to watch. Yeah, I think the the essence of it is that because um, the, the fetus wants blood, and because Bella is not eating blood, all it's got access to is her blood. So it's consuming that yeah. and, and preventing her from uh, getting any nutrition herself. She can't, you know, she can't keep any food down because it doesn't want regular food. It wants blood. And yeah. it, it is kind of, if you look at, at um, some people have very difficult pregnancies yeah. um, or th- where they have um, basically, remember what my morning sickness was like. Yeah. Imagine that. 18 hours a day, every day, until you give birth. Or imagine uh, a pregnancy for a vegetarian woman who really can't touch meat, but the baby wants meat. That's probably the best, uh, best parallel, only it's obviously a lot, lot worse. Because she has to effectively drink a Slurpee cup full of blood, mm. which kind of turned my stomach. And yeah, they they don't. Um, uh, Kristen Stewart, to her credit, they they really rough her up in this one. It is not sexy, mm-hmm. and um, uh, she goes through a physical transformation, and she sells it, and it's very powerfully realised. She does. She sells it as well. I would say she sells the depression in New Moon. Yeah. In the meantime, everybody's freaking out about this baby. The werewolves, who were previously allied with the Cullens, are like, what the fuck? Half vampire, half human. No, this thing will just destroy us all because it'll be so hungry and it won't know how to stop and blah, 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 blah. And they appear to be as scared of it as what the Volturi suspect it will be in film two, which is an immortal child, which is like a kid who, when it throws a tantrum, can destroy villages. Um and again, this is unfortunately heavily steeped in the mythos. And the problem is you can get everything else about it except for the will, she'll give birth to an abomination. Everything else is an analog for something in real life. What she's going to give birth to doesn't really happen in real life, not in a sort of this baby will destroy us all kind of way. Metaphorically, maybe, but yeah. not literally. So all the wolves want to kill it. And Jacob originally is very, very stressed out and angry over it, but eventually grudgingly starts to um, try to protect Bella, you know, while she's still human. Um, I think there's, there's various rules flung up at this point, like suddenly now that it's convenient, it's like, oh yeah, werewolves can't kill humans. Werewolves are trying to protect humans, despite the fact that throughout mythology, werewolves prey upon humans. Uh, so yeah, well they're vampire. not again. They're not werewolves. They are they're shape animagus shifters. Yeah, yeah. But I mean that's fine. Ultimately, I've I've had a lot of people say Twilight is bad because it doesn't follow the rules of our mythology. Fuck bollocks, bollocks. 
Stephanie Meyer absolutely has a right to tweak and twist whatever mythology she wants to, as long as it obeys its own internal logic and it, it, it's does. not, it doesn't fall prey to uh, convenience. Sometimes, especially in the fifth film, it falls prey to uh, narrative contrivance. It does, and you have certain things which has to be explained in a sentence or two because you haven't even mentioned them earlier on. Yeah. But bear in mind, even Joe Rowling wrote herself into corners repeatedly throughout the Harry Potter series oh, where yes. she, you know, wrote silly things because they were cool to begin with and then she had to deal with them in a serious context. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, there's... there's not, the, the, you can write anything about vampires because they don't exist. You don't have to change the rules of things that do exist. And even if they did exist and you change the rules, it doesn't matter. It's fiction. It fits into that story. I don't like or care about the way that vampires are portrayed in this. They seem like a bunch of ponces and um, there aren't enough weaknesses to them to really sell the whole vampirism thing. And everything is just too peachy for them. The werewolves thing I kind of like more. And the other thing is, of course, it, it uh, makes a big deal of uh, Native Americans, which doesn't really get done that much outside of a Western setting. Mm, that's Although true. they didn't go out of their way to hire First Nation actors. No, although they did find out after a lot of them had been hired because they looked right for the parts that they did actually have Native American blood in their families. Um, yeah. But I think... At it the, wasn't at the top of their priorities list. No. And, uh, I mean, it's the fact rare it's, enough Yeah, but it it's, it's not... A, Especially a blockbuster. A, it's not based on a um, some kind of uh, hypothetical imaginary tribe. The, the, uh, is it Quilutes? I'm sorry, my pronunciation is abysmal. Um, it, it is actually based on the, the real native people who live in that area. Mm. Um, so there is that, although apparently that has led to some slight difficulties in that there are now coach loads of tourists wanting to see all the twilight area, um, which means that they are basically trekking all over native land, which no no permission has been obtained for them to do this. And it's it's a bit, you know. Iffy. It's a lot. Yeah. To say, yeah. Well, <laughs> Have some goddamn respect. Absolutely. Um, but if you like Twilight, you'll respect the people that it's actually emulating. One would hope so. Um, but part of, of what that, that side of the mythology leads on to is one of my favourite bits in this film. And I know it was one of your favourite bits too. <sighs> okay, the, the, the werewolf thing also involves imprinting on a partner and uh, uh, there's various humans who live with the werewolves and become their um, other halves and mates. Yeah. And um, the, you get to see a couple of ladies who have actually um, both fallen for the same guy and he ended up opting for one of them that he imprinted on the idea being that he suddenly realized he was her. The word imprint is used as an analog for soulmate. He realized she was his soulmate, which left the other one, kind of out in the cold. Um, but she but, is a wolf herself, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Now, the, the iffy thing develops when, in the book specifically, this was shown in a far more overt light and in a, it, it became really quite creepy. There's it one of the werewolves creepy. on the beach with a little girl looking after her Turns out he's imprinted on her and she's going to be his wife at some point. And there's no way to write that and not make it seem really fucking creepy. You can't write that without coming off uneasy. 
And in the film, they don't make too much of a deal out of it. Um, they, it just seems like a guy with his daughter uh, on the beach, and they, they seem to be happy enough. And they don't really emphasize it too much. Later on, the whole point of uh, Jacob is, first off, he's fighting for dominance of the control of the wolf pack so that he can stop them from killing um, uh, the baby who is named Renesme after uh, Bella's mother, and uh, Edward's mother, uh, Renee and Esme, uh, which emphasizes her half-breed status. Um, Rene, I might mention, by the way, is mainly communicated within the film in phone calls throughout all the uh, film series. She's not even bloody in this fifth one. Mm. I think she's at the wedding, but uh, in, in the last one, Charlie's in it, and he gets to find out about Bella, but not Rene. And... Uh, Whenever Bella talks to her, she's like, so tell me about the cute boys. And the idea is that she's left her mother uh, because her mother wants to go out traveling with her new boyfriend. And she's gone back to her father. And um, so she seems like a nice mum, but one who most definitely takes her own life over her daughter. And that really isn't made that much of a big deal out of. But I don't know. The um, uh, Rene seems quite like she's happy to have sort of not cut Bella out of her life, but sort of, you know, that, that she's able to move on with her own life and that Bella's able to sort of do, you know, have a life in forks. Anyway, Jacob is very, very unhappy, especially when it seems like Bella's actually really, you know, getting hurt by this child and it's killing her and he wants the the baby to be killed. uh, And uh, he wants the baby to be removed from her so that she has a vague chance of, of survival. So it becomes this kind of life or death situation where Bella is insisting, no, no, I want to have this child. Now, I can really relate to uh, feeling powerless uh, next to the uh, awesome power, next to the awesome presence of a mother who wants things exactly how she wants them in a birth scenario. So I was feeling for Jacob at this point. Um, You know, this immense sense of worry for the woman you love and not being able to help her. All he can really do is try to deal with the other werewolves. So when it seems like Bella's died, Jacob goes off in anguish. But when he comes back in, he sees the baby being cradled by... Um, Rosalie. Rosalie, uh, Edward's sister figure. And immediately, and again, you can't write this in the book without it coming off as creepy he sees his future wife and he's like, oh God, that is the baby I want to fuck. (laughs) But That's not quite how it comes across in the book. Excuse me, may I finish? Yes, you may. Because that really needs to be finished. Um, That's not how it comes across when uh, when it's in the uh, film. That's not how it's written in the book, obviously, but that's how it comes across as if you see it written on paper or if someone else tells you about it. What he sees is flashes of the future and really wanting to protect and look after this child and be there for her and not let her come to any harm. And it's weird to say that there isn't any real lust involved in it at all. It's more about just making sure that she's happy, which comes off as really sweet and really altruistic and really touching and, you know, tapping into some of the best aspects of humanity back down to a primal level where you 
would die for somebody else. You would die to protect them. That is how we managed to stay together on the food chain and evolve to become who we were. That's a very basic human and indeed a a mammalian impulse. And so it's actually really well handled. And this was a part I was dreading. I, I was too, particularly because the way it came across to me a little bit in the book, and I don't know whether this is intentional or whether it's just the way that I interpreted it, but it was kind of like the reason that Jacob has been drawn to Bella all this time is because she had an egg that was going to become the woman that he would imprint on. And he had a boner for this egg. Basically, yes. And that, to me, just seemed... It a can't little not bit be wrong. creepy. Yeah. That's, that's just a little bit wrong. But yeah, the, the way it was it was put across, I mean, he, he sees her and he locks eyes with this child who five minutes ago he's been all for tearing to pieces because it's it's killed Bella. I think that's it, basically. It's, it's, it's the turnaround. If he'd been sort of like, I, I can't wait for Bella's baby to be born, I, I can't wait to be its fun uncle, and then suddenly wants to shag it, you can't you can't come back from that. No, not really. You're in we can't put this movie out territory then. You are and it's a the bit. fact that it's like you killed Bella, I, I will never be able to look you in the Oh moments. Well this is the thing, and it, it's there's no words. He just he sees her and he just sinks. He realizes it's an epiphany. Yeah, absolutely. And do you know what? Do you know what? And I know we kept saying we must not keep comparing it to Harry Potter, but mm-hmm. do you know what it made me think of? Snape. Snape. Yeah. That he loved Bella so much that that it's almost like all of his protective feelings towards Bella, who he now knows he can no longer have in any way, shape or form, shift to Renesmee. And and for that that moment, and he does actually, when he tries to explain himself later on, um, it, it does come across that, that his urges towards her are in almost entirely almost paternal is that protectiveness that you you know you want to look after this child and make sure that nothing ever harms her and then when the time is right (laughs) well (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah so that that does and uh, there's another element of this um of the the closing scenes of this that i really loved that was to do with um with jacob as well which was that when he um realized that bella was dead after the uh, Renesmee has been delivered he walks outside and you can, you can kind of see the anger building in him and, and the, the whole uh, wolf transformation has always been linked to sort of you know testosterone and, and hormones and anger and, and frustration and all the rest of it and you're kind of thinking that he's basically going to walk out of the house transform and run off and he doesn't he just stops and sits down and cries and it's like for that that moment he actually holds the emotion rather than just trying to outrun it and that really sold well i i am almost almost close to wanting to see this random action film that taylor lautner went and did oh my it's terrible is it all right it's called hostage it's I'll, i'll put that away then well, he's not been in much else, so basically you could you could have an complete Taylor Lautner collection with one purchase. Yes, indeed. But he he does uh, put the emotional core of the character across 
very successfully, much more successfully than I would have expected that that character could come across, to be honest. Go on. It's 2%, it's, it's not, isn't it? It's not uh, called hostage. It's called abduction. It's 4%. Oh, my God! Uh... Having said that, let's look at the percentages on the Twilight Saga, shall we? Twilight, 49%. Ew. Is that the worst Twilight film? That, that was the, the best, best Twilight, Twilight film. film. <laughs> New Moon, 28%. Jesus, it's not that bad. That's why Kermode's saying this is not for you. Yeah, He's talking to the critics. critics. Eclipse, 49%. Bit of a step up. <laughs> Breaking Dawn Part 1, 24%. And Breaking Dawn Part 2, which I'll reveal right now, is the worst one for me. 48%. Eclipse, like I say, is superfluous, but it's a bottle episode. It's getting all the characters together, cramming them in in a high-pressure situation and seeing what comes out of them. Nothing really... It doesn't really advance the plot, but you get great characterization. Breaking Dawn Part 2 is masturbation. It's just jacking it over the plot. It's like all the characterization has been shat out... It's like all the characterization has been fulfilled in the first part. The second part is all like, okay, we've got to have a big fantasy war. Let's do it. Let's do this. The Volturi need taking down. Do they? Do they really, though? At the very, very end of Breaking Dawn Part 1, Bella dies. Edward bites her repeatedly and uh, to try to keep her alive and injects her directly in the heart like in Pulp Fiction, with his own venom. And this is a lot of venom. Apparently vampires um, like basically inject you with a bit of this like snake venom when they bite you, uh, which is what causes the vampirism, if allowed to spread. You have to destroy um, the bodies of the people you've bitten, uh, otherwise they turn. So he just like injects this into her heart, and her entire body knits itself back together while she's in a coma, and then she, uh, her, uh, her broken spine, because that's what the baby did to her, heals, and then her eyes open, and they're red, because all newborns' eyes are red, and all vampires that drink human blood are red. All vampires that drink deer blood and animal blood are lovely hazel colour. Except, of course, that humans are animals. That doesn't make any sense. But anyway, uh, so they're red and it's like, I'm a vampire now. And that's it. That's how you end the series. No problem there. That makes perfect sense. She's chosen Edward. They've got a baby. uh, Jacob's got his his girlfriend for for the future and at least his adopted niece of sorts. Uh, for, For now, the Cullens are fine. The werewolves are sort of grudgingly at peace with them. That's it. It's done. That is not to say that Breaking Dawn Part 2 is all bollocks. There are elements in it that are actually quite good. However, it is a much higher ratio of bollocks to good than any of the other four. And it is largely unnecessary bollocks, which is what makes it worse. Largely unnecessary bollocks is our Sex Pistols cover band. (laughs) If you love these shows and want to see them continue, remember we are on Patreon. On that note, I'd like to thank our special sponsors for this month, Nick Grugin, Joel Robinson, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, Scott Corzine, Livio De La Cruz, and Erish Traverse. And an extra special thanks to Erish, who donated very generously in a way that allowed two new Blue Yeti mics to be purchased for the new Century Audio Drama podcast. It will now sound even better, thanks to Erish. And to everyone else who supports these shows, either through Patreon or PayPal, or just spreading it around through social media, a huge thank you.
If you haven't yet listened to the Secret Rooms podcast, go subscribe right now. It's bloody excellent. New episodes out every Wednesday, previews through the Patreon. He smiled broadly, revealing all three of his teeth and waggling his eyebrows. We talked some more about a local beast named the Green Monster, but he seemed of only passing familiarity, admitting to having never seen it himself either, describing it with increasingly ludicrous body details. Head of an ox. Legs of a ram. Body of a great big frog. Green and scaly all over and hung all about with swamp grass. With a back all ridged with poisonous spines. It makes a whistling noise you should listen out for. And if you pass by a certain nearby bridge on a Sunday without crossing yourself, it leaps out at you and gobbles your soul right down like a ham. Well, thank the good Lord it's a Thursday, and we'll be long gone from here by then. No offense intended, sir, but this sounds like the most monster-infested town I've ever encountered. And I am a professional monster hunter. Oh, I'll bet there are places far stranger than this out there, young lady. These redcaps, wisps, and ghouls have been sleeping in their hollows for centuries and longer, emerging once in a while to frighten the bejesus out of unsuspected twerps like Colby. But now they're awake. And I don't think they'll be too happy to go back to bed again. Something about the conviction in his voice and the sudden solemnity of his eyes as he surveyed the four of us took me aback here. He wasn't trying to scare or entertain four strangers anymore. Then, quick as a whip, he was back to talking about a lasting feud between him and the local fishmonger, and it appeared our show was over. We left Clendenin behind and made camp by the roadside that evening, the caravans in a circle, the stars wheeling overhead and a group of lookouts standing watchful all through the night. Bella is now a vampire, though she is angry that Jacob is in love with her baby. She and Edward move into a gorgeous cottage. The child Renesme grows fast. The Volturi catch news of it and come to Forks to slaughter this unholy immortal child, while the werewolves attempted to before but didn't. Edward's sister figure, Alice, who can see the future, leaves. By the way, this is the longest because so much stuff happens and it's all plot related. Alice can see the future. She leaves just in case she can be used against her family. The Cullens gather a small group of loyal vampires with different magic powers to oppose the elders, one of whom can create massive illusions. Remember that for the future. They gather on a snowy battlefield, and Bella asserts that the child is not immortal and, in fact, has been aging rather a lot. Alice reappears to show the head Volturi, Arrow, that's Michael Sheen, that the child will not pose a threat. This guy also played Tony Blair at least twice. She realises he intends to attack nonetheless, like Tony Blair. A terrible battle breaks out in which several main characters are killed. Then Arrow is beheaded and the scene goes back to the moment prior to the battle. It turns out it was all a massive illusion to make it clear how disastrous the fight would be for everyone. Alice wheels out a young man whom it transpires is several hundred years old and a half-vampire, proof that Renesme will blend perfectly with their race. The Volturi leave the Cullens in peace. Alice sees a future with Edward and Bella together on the beach, along with 
Jacob and his partner, a grown Renezme. Thanks to another werewolf power, not mentioned anywhere else, Jacob will also not age while he is around her. Bella gives Edward a memory parcel showing the story of their love together, and they all lived happily ever after, forever young and beautiful. Now, can you tell what problems I have with this story? Right, I am looking right here at a sea of red issues that I have with this film. It didn't really strike me while I was watching it, but it really is. In terms of the stories like these, it's all in how you end it. And what Deathly Hallows does so right, this does so wrong. And it's really unfair to compare this to Harry Potter, but at the same time, it does invite that comparison because it was another major book craze and it, it, had, it has a similarly enormous fan following. It has its own mythology uh, and it deals with death and life and love and sacrifice in roughly the same way. But its conclusions are vastly different. So let's start with point number one. Bella, as a vampire, becomes a lot less likable and utterly self-absorbed. She does do the Mary Sue morph, don't she? Yeah. All her previous awkwardness and lack of fashion sense and occasionally bad hair just disappears out the window and she's perfect. When does she have occasionally bad hair? When she's pregnant, her hair looks pretty bad. I suppose so, yeah. She looks like a friggin' supermodel at this point. She is like... Because that's the thing. Vampires are like naturally hot. That's their thing. They look pale and striking, but they're also beautiful. Uh, but yeah, Bella's a vampire. And it, it, I'm specifically thinking about here uh, when she finds out that uh, Jacob loves Renesmee. She's like, you fucking imprint on my daughter? And she's like pushing him around, shouting at him in front of the Cullens, throws him out using her super strength. And the Cullens are sort of watching uneasily. Edward, meanwhile, is smirking and going, <laughs> cool. He's and such he, a dick in this. He, he is really is. He is a total fucking dick in, this. dick in this. He becomes a smirking, favoured son of an extremely rich, reclusive cult. He has no responsibilities or worries now. Before Bella was a vampire, he was worried about her, and that made him very grave all the time. Now she's a vampire and can't be hurt, and he, she's actually a bit stronger than him. And he's like, you're going to not hurt me now? Um, he's like... Oh, yeah, life's good. All right, all right. Everything's peachy. Uh-huh. Not, I sh he should transfer that worry to his daughter, Renesmee. He should be like, we've got to protect her. His paternal instinct should kick in at this point, and he should become a man. Not that you have to have a child to become a man, but he's a fucking boy. And like I said, the richness thing really does show through. Like they, they retire to this cottage and it's gorgeous. And you realize, oh, hey, hang on. Edward doesn't have to work. Edward doesn't have to do anything. Edward doesn't have any responsibilities at all. Like I said, he's just a rich Lothario, the son of a rich man. He inherited this fucking wealth. He doesn't. He doesn't do anything. He is a perpetual student because they, they say this early on because they keep moving from town to town to town. If they start off fairly young, yeah. telling people that they are 16, 17, 18, then they can stay there a lot longer, which means that he spends a lot of time in school and in college and, you know, just. He occasionally implies being in the first, indulged. He occasionally implies in the first few movies that. Things are not fantastic or peachy, being immortal and you're quite lonely and reclusive. But no, 
you can do what you want. You got the wealth, you got... Hang on. Now, I'm not saying all rich people don't have problems. Of course they do. But uh, I, like Sharon, I kind of have limited sympathy for people who go, oh, it's terrible at the top. And at the same time, just sort of mooch about in their gorgeous houses and can't be hurt in any way. They're specifically rich vampires. <laughs> And then, interestingly, you have the uh, idea that these uh, these immensely rich people are, in some way, parasitic. Hmm. Yeah. Is that theory explored to any great depth? In this? No. No, of course it's not. Because these are the guys you want to be. They're ri- they're celebrities, basically. Mm. There is nothing that Stephanie Meyer likes more than the idea of being <laughs> part of a, a, a rich, culty family. That's not to say that Mormons are a cult. The one person I did feel a stab of pity for is Charlie, her, Bella's father, because uh, he gets told by Jacob, who strips off and turns into a wolf in front of him to kind of make his point. Bella's involved in some shit now, and uh, she's not really supposed to see you, but I'll take you to her. And, um, you know, his daughter's married into this new family and now suddenly has decided she can't see him ever again, which is, is devastating devastating to a father and you'd, you've got all these questions to ask or not just a father but anybody who's close to someone else and, and suddenly you know this is Scientology this is you know suddenly the person you love has been absorbed into another family and you can't see them so and Bella's sort of oh, this is awkward it's like oh, I can't really tell you the answer to this question you're asking because the Volturi will kill you but yeah, she doesn't act like she really cares all that much at this point. It should be tearing her apart. Also, in a really poor move in terms of effects, they really need to make it clear that the child, Renesme, uh, is the same person that she's going to grow up to be um, when we see her in a, a few minutes' time as the sort of six-year-old, seven-year-old Renesmee. So they very unwisely, to my mind, take the face of this six-year-old, age it down and, and paste it on the baby using CG, and it looks like a fucking commercial. You know when they make babies dance in commercials and it looks creepy and it's that uncanny valley shit and your mind goes, no, this is wrong. If they're just trying to sell you a product, you could probably stand it for 30 seconds or so and go, ugh, I never want to see that again. But... If it's in a film, it boots you, Sparta-style, out of the film. You're like, why did they do that? Why didn't they just get a child who's six, a child who's four, related to that same child, so there's a physical resemblance, and then a baby? It doesn't, she doesn't have to look like that. She doesn't have to, to the degree where it kicks you out of the movie. And anybody who said, I don't have a problem with this, good. I'm, I'm glad that it worked for someone, but not for me. It's really creepy. It is. It made me feel a bit queasy. Yeah. It's like I said before, like putting dog eyes on a human or human eyes on a dog. They do that too with the werewolves. <laughs> there is quite a lot of Uncanny Valley in the uh, Twilight films. Although... All those obscenely realistic dolls. Yeah. So what the heck, no, 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 bro? Don't use that tone. Oh, he's such a sweet. Oh, 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 oh I'm gonna tell everyone that y'all never at Sea World. Yeah, that's right. You guys, because I was doing crunches. Uh, Teen Wolf, we'll start. Just chill. Choo choo choo. He's a meanie. He just hurt my feelings. 
Also, he hurt my skin. And, 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 he, and he gets poor grades. Okay, so then it gets on to the meat of the film and the Volturi are coming, so the Cullens have to get some backup. And they basically do X-Men 3, The Last Stand. They call all the mutants from around the world, bring them in, and uh, they've got all got mutant powers and they sort of train at the ranch. And it's like, right, look what I can do. I can do this. I can make, you know, illusions happen. And look at this. I can, I can do electric. And look at this. I can climb walls. And uh, yeah, they're, they're all kind of useful, but they... They seem incongruous. Not so much. I mean, we've seen that these vampires have powers, but I'm not sure why they need these powers. Really. You just end up with this collection of um, cultural stereotypes with unusual abilities. But you don't learn anything about them as people. You don't. No. There's no attempt to characterize anybody. Well, there's it, a, like, each have, of them gets about twelve seconds to show who they are, and then it moves on quick. That's why I have real reservations about X Men: Days of Future Past. I think it's going to be much the same. Yeah, but fortunately, you, you get, we'll already know a lot of them. Yeah, but you you get the, for example, the Irish vampires, and mm. you know they're Irish vampires <laughs> because they're wearing flat caps and buttonless waistcoats. What? What century did you acquire these Irish vampires from, exactly? <laughs> and there's like, uh, one of the vampires is basically Gambit. Yes, he is. <sighs> and he would have been a better Gambit than flipping um, Taylor Kitsch. Taylor Kitsch, yeah, he would have. He's played by Lee Pace, who is Thranduil in The Hobbit. So, yeah, anyway, but unfortunately they're also up against the Volturi, who are a bunch of ponces, inadequate antagonists, who weaken the protagonists with their lack of substance. And when they all turn up on the battlefield, it actually seems really like a small version of all of those battle sequences you get in every fantasy movie, specifically the last one of every fantasy movie. You know, uh, it's... Uh, it, it's smaller than the big fight in X-Men 3, which feels really small and crappy compared with stuff like the Avengers now that we have and compared with Lord of the Rings, which happened ages ago. You, you like, If you're going to do a battle like that, what they did in Harry... Uh, I hate to keep bringing it up with Harry Potter, but the, there was a sense of real impending fear and doom uh, for this one. Like These are children up against... Nazi war criminals who have no compunction with with killing all of them, um, but with this it's like the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants versus the X Men. And so when the battle actually happens, and like all of this fighting and jumping all over the place takes place, and there's this, the Avatar is one of them. One of the good vampires can, can he can water bend, he can fire bend, he can earth bend, and I think he can air bend. And for some reason, the guy play, who played Soka doesn't go, are you the Avatar? Jackson Rathbone, yes. This is your moment. <laughs> yeah. But like, like he, he comes in in like the middle of the fight after several characters have been horribly killed suddenly. Like the first one was... Um, uh, Carlisle. Carlisle. And you went, <gasps> at that point. I'd forgotten. Yeah. That it was a fake out. He sort of leaps in and gets his head knocked off by um, Michael Sheen. And But the way it's directed, it's just so, like, it's not gleeful. It's just, like, 
boring action and it just occurs over a long long period of like jumping all over the place and then like the avatar starts like tearing apart the earth halfway through that's the guy you lead with that's the guy you throw everyone off their feet with to begin with there's no tactics in this thing they'll just charge at each other but then i mean i think the reason that i gasped when carlisle got his head ripped off was that his race towards the Volturi was in defense of Alice. Alice has been grabbed by them at this point. And I actually really got emotionally kind of connected with this because it's like, you've got Edward is now a new father and that role is reflected in the fact that Carlisle is racing into danger to protect Alice, who is effectively his daughter. Yeah. But like I said, that it happens so quickly, like huh? And there's no music attached to it. There's no emotion attached they just to it. And move then they just, but to the it's, next. In, it's. I understand it's intentionally so. It's just like like horrible violence. It's not. It's it's stylized, so it's supposed to look super badass. But at the same time, it's 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 empty and full of nothing. Yeah. And then when it zips back to oh, none of that actually happened. You're like ah. Yeah. But that doesn't then, change the then, fact that you've just sat through a boring-ass six-minute fight scene. Absolutely. But then, although I did react to um, Carlisle's death, then when the same thing happens to Jasper within a couple of minutes, I kind of I, I still didn't remember that it was a fake-out from the book, but I went, hang on a minute, something's not right here. Well, I was just desensitised at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's well handled from the point of view that... that the Arrow can tell people's thoughts in the same way that Edward can read Bella's thoughts and Arrow when he holds... No, no, no. Edward can't read Bella's thoughts. Sorry. Edward can read everyone but Bella's thoughts. Bella is a shield and she uses her shield powers in this fight and, and as such, again, there's a similarity to Harry Potter in the book uh, during the final battle in Hogwarts and Harry actually gets involved. He's throwing out shield charms to protect people. That's what he wants to do. He's not being aggressive uh, with it. Um, and there is something about Bella not being violent and aggressive, even when her daughter is threatened, um, that's uh, uh, somehow elemental. But um, when it really comes down to it, it's just war is terrible and it will kill us all and nothing good will come of it. And Alice shows the man who was going to attack no matter what the consequences, which, fair enough, it's, it's just a feeble battle in, a, in and of itself. But that, like... We're at the end of the film, nearly, and almost nothing happens. It's all just preparation for the Volturi, and you get to meet, like, Dakota Fanning's brother, played by... Um, Cameron Bright. Cameron Bright, um, who was... Uh, oh, he was in X-Men 3 as well, actually. He was Leech, the one who takes away everyone's powers. Was he? Yeah. Oh, he got okay. saved by Kitty Pride. Yeah. During that awful, I'm the juggernaut, bitch. Uh, sequence we're going to talk about x-men fairly soon um so let's just sweep all of that battle shit to one side because really this whole film leads up to a battle that really didn't actually need to happen at all the note it ends on we get to see um uh jacob with renesme and we get to see edward with bella and that's what alice sees in the future and that is their future and it's, it's wonderful and it's idyllic and it's glossy because the vastly increased me- metabolic rate that uh uh, Renesme is growing she will reach maturity within seven years and um, be like a fully grown 21 year old girl and then stick that way for hundreds and hundreds of years well and how Jay- remarkably convenient that is convenient isn't it because <laughs> you'd think that there'd be something vaguely organic about it and then she'd just age really really slowly but no she just uh, she just stops at the point where she's the most pretty and it's the most appropriate to be fucked um. Hmm. Yeah. 
Also, um, Jacob's not aging isn't actually to do with him being around Renesme. It's to do with the healing abilities that the wolves have. As long as he phases regularly, all his cells will heal yeah. while he's in wolf form. So he doesn't actually get any older. So basically, the, the wolves, when they're around vampires... The Jacob's family don't turn into wolves unless there are vampires near them. But when they do turn into wolves, they can heal like Wolverine and they can not age like Wolverine then. Mm. They can then, at some point, choose to stop turning into a wolf if they want to age normally. Uh-huh. Apparently. If Stephanie Meyer isn't a massive fan of X-Men, I'll be extremely surprised. Mm. And that's probably why I liked a lot of elements of these films because they sort of resonated with my you know, teenage version of me that read comics. And I think probably as a teenager, I'd probably have liked these films a bit more. Um, but anyway, and this really ties in with Harry Potter now, and I've got to use it as a comparison because it draws the opposite conclusions. The note it ends on is one of being able to live forever in pure bliss. This is a deeply troubling mentality to close out on, as though all the hardship was just a rocky road up the ziggurat to heaven. And now, and from now on, everything's peachy forever. That's not how life works. There's a really quite powerful dream sequence at the beginning of the second movie, um, New Moon, where Bella sees Edward across the uh, a, a lovely meadow and she goes to meet him. And then she sees her grandma across the meadow. And then she goes to meet her grandma and it turns out it's her, an extremely old version of Bella, which shows that Bella is terrified terrified of growing old and she says herself in this film i was born to be a vampire there's a lot of destiny there's a lot of soulmates there's a lot of this it is written there's a lot of you know this is was meant to be joe rowling believes you make your own destiny uh, i personally subscribe to the idea that there's um it's mostly you make your own but there are a few things that you can sort of nudge in the same direction that kind of um it's difficult to say, really. Certain events seem unavoidable at times. Anchor points in the river of time. There you go. It's a nice non-poncy way of putting it. But it doesn't really matter what I feel about it, it, it what, or, or how this clashes with my sensibilities. What worries me is this is not a model for life at all. Forever, young and beautiful is not something to put into people's heads as a perfect ideal to reach for. The end of Harry Potter... The fundamental difference between Harry and Tom and the fundamental difference in the Star Wars saga between Yoda and the Emperor is one accepts death, understands it, goes to meet it, uh, ultimately overcomes it by accepting that someday you are going to die, that getting old is part of life and that while we shouldn't necessarily invite it, being terrified of it to the point where we actually want to block it out or in Voldemort and the Emperor's case put it off altogether that's how Twilight ends that's the happy ending the denial of death that seems very unnatural to me and it's quite disturbing Even if you are lucky enough to find the one you love, growing old with them should not be something you fear. Apparently, they actually did shoot a sequence where um, uh, Bella uh, opted to go with uh, Jacob and they grew old together. And apparently it was laughable. Why is that laughable? That's what every one of us has to do. No one lives forever. 
the problem is everything else in these films actually has an analog apart from the whole immortal child thing um when it doesn't get too involved in the mythology of it, it has an analogue for a real-life situation and sometimes having to choose between someone who really feels deep down right for you and someone who might seem to be uh, better for you in possibly the short term or maybe has your best interests at heart but the, you really feel drawn to this one person. I can get with that. But at the end, it would appear the fantasy and the mythology gets in the way of the actual analogous relevance to real life. It also pushes the soulmate agenda, which forces perfection on the life and love plan of girls in particular. It's already tough enough to find a partner, to hold down a partner, to force that girl to want to find someone who makes them feel like Edward makes Bella feel. At this point, we're getting a little bit close to Fifty Shades territory. It almost seems like the end of this was actually supposed to be Edward dies for Bella and she realizes she was in love with Jacob the whole time, but not that he's a second choice, but that she really would have been gone with him anyway, whether Edward had died at all or not that if nothing else would have actually characterized Edward as someone actually genuinely willing to sacrifice himself, maybe sacrifice himself for his daughter. And that's not me saying I wanted the film to end like this. It's me saying the way the film does end is genuinely troubling. There are, there is a lot of sweetness in the film. There are good, solid values in the series throughout. And ultimately, it's very difficult to argue with the idea that family is worth sacrificing everything for and being with the people that you love. And also the idea of inherited family and absorbed family and, and, and friends that become your family that's a wonderful idea, and it it's definitely uh, runs parallel with Harry Potter as well. Um, but eternal, the desperate preservation of life, youth, and beauty is transparently preying upon a very deeply rooted yet shallow human fear that needs to be confronted and accepted with our stories, with our stories, not ignored and distracted from with the fantasy. Anything to add to that? Um, I I was trying to think of anything I could add to what you were saying, but no, I I go with you wholly on on the vast majority of that. I mean, this is this is kind of what I was driving at when I was talking about them not examining immortality properly or properly, yeah. um, not looking at it in terms of what the drawbacks are and what it denies you if you are pursuing immortality. Um, I mean, the idea of this sort of heavenly little environment where Bella and Edward and uh, Renesme and Jacob all get to be young and gorgeous forever and ever on this beautiful beach, um, nothing will ever change. That, that's, that's not life. Life is, is something which is constantly evolving. Cyclical. And, yeah. And you, you, you have to adapt to, to new things. And it's setting up this idea that, this, that happiness is a moment that is frozen. Happiness yeah. is not a photograph. 
and it ends with uh, like, it ends actually with a series of photographs. Bella gives mm. gives Edward a montage of bits from the film. I don't know if that was in the book. It's a nice little touch, but basically it it ends on a very kind of girls you know you love Twilight. Look at this, and here's a little flashback to all the little bits from the series as it goes along. Very little from Eclipse, interestingly enough. Yes, because Jacob's not in any of it. Yeah. Because why would you show your husband that? And yeah, she shows him how much she loves him. And she goes, there's no, no one in the world that loves as much as I love you. And he says, no, there's one more. Which is basically, have you ever sat on a train and seen two people gazing at each other? I love you. I love you more. I would forgive men, specifically, or women who are not of that disposition for projectile vomiting at the screen at that stage. <laughs> I just felt like Blackadder at that point. Oh, get out, you nauseating adolescents. And they're stuck like that forever. If that's basically how their love is, they're going to be going, I love you most. I love you more than most. That, that is something you do when you're young and super, like, hormonally driven and, like, you know, you really love someone so fucking, fucking much. But you have to, you have to get over that basically, because you can't feel that intense all the time. You never get anything done. And that's the thing. The Cullens don't. They just sort of lounge about the place forever. Do you know, by the way, the evolutionary theory behind that kind of love? Uh, what? what? That basically it, it has evolved because it's the only thing strong enough to keep two parents together long enough to raise their child to about four or five years old, which is the age at which... A, the man a goes, oh, fuck could, this! Well, th- this is the thing. The, the age at which a child could feasibly survive without the constant input of its parents. That is how long romantic love is supposed to keep you together until your kid is about four or five. That's awful. So did cavemen speak with W's instead of L's? I love you. I love you more. <laughs> I drag you by the hair. <laughs> Or we evolved slightly beyond that now. Well, yeah, I mean, evolutionary theory does rather fall down once you put it up against cultural context and all the rest of it, but there it is. Also, the thing about Bella being able to put these memories into Edward's head, that's all to do with her uh, control over her shield ability. Mm-hmm. That, that basically the reason he's never been able to read her thoughts is because she has this innate shield ability. In learning to project that shield beyond her own body, yeah. she also learns to contract it so she can actually bring it back far enough so that Edward can read her, can thoughts, read her yeah. thoughts and that's okay. what, what she's showing him. Maybe that is in the book then, that actually stands to reason. But uh, I Ultimately, while I do have a problem with this, it may actually play in quite well with the belief systems of people who believe that you go to heaven and you live there forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And that's fine. And and in which case, this is the ending for you, because that is where she metaphorically goes. I personally subscribe to the idea of cycles, if anything, um, just going round and round and round. Um, but mainly because that's what everything that we observe on Earth and in the cosmos seems to subscribe to, the idea of cycles. Um, so, really, really, I suppose, ultimately, there are going to be plenty, thousands, millions of, of people who love this ending. And, and that's fair enough. 
but it is the complete antithesis of the ending of Harry Potter yeah. in which the whole point is that they have aged and they are watching the next generation mm. go on and joe specifically says that the uh, the brave thing is not dying the brave thing is actually rebuilding after this trauma and uh, being able to come back from the war and actually have a life from that and moving forwards and that's all about experiencing real life and not wallowing in fantasy mm. yeah yeah there's, there's no real loss. The, the battle in which people die is entirely imagined. Yep. I mean, there's, you know that they would sacrifice themselves for each other. Yeah, but they only ever have to do it in theory. Yeah. Well, that's not to say... It's actually quite refreshing that nobody dies. Because usually there's, you know, like specifically in Harry Potter, it actually became like clockwork at the end of every book. So after, after three, someone dies. <laughs> uh, but again, it's, it's not fair to constantly compare it to Harry Potter. I'm just, I'm holding that aloft right now as how exactly to do that. stories. There, there were people who said, yes, this is the, the next stage for all you people who love Harry Potter. Here's the next fantasy for you to attach your obsession to. Mm. So they started it. <laughs> So in summation, Twilight is now dirt cheap and you can pick up the first three for a penny on Amazon. It's at least worth picking them up to see if it's as unwatchable as you always suspected or if you might actually get something out of them. There are definitely worse ways to spend a few hours. So we'll be back soon with more Drift. Until then, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And Neural Neural Handshake handshake complete. Complete. So... Uh, it sort of ended just on, on a real whimper of just Superman's back. He has long hair now. But what matters here, and really the thing you should take away from all this, is that the death and return of Superman forever broke death in comics. There's something my dad made up, which is he told me when I was little and I was frustrated about rules uh, in movies. He said, uh, how do you kill a vampire? And I was like, stake through the heart, garlic, you know, sunlight. And my dad was like, no. You can kill a vampire however the fuck you want because vampires don't fucking exist. You can make up rules for any kind of thing you want. I'm gonna fight for you until your heart stops beating. Hey, Beavis, check this out. (laughs) I will fight for you. Until your heart stops beating. Can I have some of your popcorn? Oh my god, I said shut up! Hey, we want our money back, butthole.